Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Roger, my brother. So good to see you. We've been, it's been a joy to look out and see Sonia the last few, several weeks. And, um, you know, just good to have you. If you're using the Black Bibles, that's page 813. Matthew chapter 8. Last week we considered verses 1 through 17 and we saw how, again, Matthew is just continuing to explain and, 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 and record how the King has come. Right, The promised Messiah has come, and He's come in power. He's powerfully bringing in the kingdom of God. He, he uh, fulfills the promises. We saw that in the first several chapters of Matthew. He fulfills the promises that have been given hundreds of years earlier of the coming King. Uh, he, he now teaches, bringing in the kingdom power through His teaching through um, explaining entrance into the kingdom of God, citizenship in the kingdom of God. And then last week, Matthew honed us in on how Jesus um, powerfully brings in the works of the kingdom, and that is through his healings, through casting out demons, he is reversing the curse of sin. He is is showing people, you know, we know that sin has left this world uh, cursed, fallen, broken, in bondage, and yet Jesus has come to powerfully redeem those under the curse. And so every, every healing, every casting out of, of demons was just a, a foretaste and a, a small token of what Jesus had come to do. And it was pointing us to what his ultimate work was going to be, uh, dying on the cross in the place of sinners, rising again in victory over sin, death, and Satan. And, and by so doing, by, through that finished work, he would once for all defeat sin and death. And he would guarantee that the curse of sin would once for all be reversed at his second coming, the new heavens. And when he uh, comes and redeems the, the very earth itself, creates a new heaven, a new earth, his people are raised in glorious uh, resurrection bodies. And so again, the, the healings not only give us a picture of what he does for us spiritually, cleansing us from, from sin just as he cleansed the leper from his, his disease. But it is, a, it is a, a foretaste of what we will experience in our full and final redemption. Uh, redeemed, glorified bodies and soul. And so I've been thinking about that this week. I was talking with different ones about that this week of what that will be like, right? To be able to worship the Lord um, with no more pain, no more disease, no more evil in this world, and no more divided heart, right? To be able to worship Him wholly and, and purely and be with Him forever. And so I hope that encourages you as you even see the ministry of Jesus unfold here in the pages of Matthew. And so I also mentioned briefly last time that Matthew, um, you know, he's, he's compiled these different events under the guidance of the Holy Spirit um, in a purposeful way, right? And so 
He, he has organized three miracles and then a teaching on discipleship and then three more uh, miracle, miraculous events and another teaching on discipleship and then three more events, right? And so last time we had the three events and now today we come to verses 18 through 22, which is an event that's, that happened in his ministry, but, but Matthew gives it to us to teach us about discipleship, to teach us what it means to follow Christ. All right, so now I want us to consider today our text is verses 18 through 22 of Matthew 8. So, again, would you stand, please, in honor of God's word? And just follow along as I read that text. Matthew 8, 18. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Please be seated. The title of the sermon this morning is So you want to be a Christian? And the reason I picked that as the title is that's what we have unfolding here, right? Is in our text, Jesus interacts with two, you could call them would-be disciples. These are two guys who express some level of interest in following Christ. And before I dig any further into that, let me just... I purposely... Uh, wanted Christian to be in the title of the sermon because when we talk about following Christ, when we talk about being a disciple of Christ, that's all the same thing as being a Christian, right? Um, throughout church history, unfortunately, there's, there's sometimes been the erroneous teaching that, oh, you can, you can believe in Christ as your Savior, you can become a Christian, but then later you actually, you know, step it up and kind of become a disciple and become a follower and, be, you know, Start following him as Lord. And that is not what the Bible teaches at all. And this is another text that reminds us of that. No, being a Christian, becoming a Christian, is following Christ as Lord. It is committing yourself to being a disciple. Uh, A disciple is, is a learner, right? A disciple is a student. It's someone who follows Christ in order to learn from him. And so I just want us to be be clear on that. Jesus is talking about what it looks like, what is, you could say, what is required to become a follower of Christ, to become a Christian. And so again, we have two guys that, that say they want to do that. And, and Jesus wants them to count the cost. He wants, as Jesus often does, he, want, he lays out what the cost is of following Christ. He wants them to know what this entails he wants them to know the cost before they make a commitment. And, and that's very um, good of Jesus to do, right? I mean, Jesus is not some swindler. He's not a trickster that does a bait and switch, right? That makes it sound all easy. And then later, you know, you know it's not like the, the, the free trial. And then later they sock it to you with the, the ongoing payment, right? No, he doesn't do that. He, he says, this is what it means to follow Christ. This is what... Uh, if you want to be a disciple, this is what it's going to cost you. 
He lays out the costs up front. Jesus will never turn away someone who is sincerely committed, but he wants to make sure you understand what the commitment really is. So this, I I hope you already see, this is very important for us, right? I mean, all the Word of God is important, but man, what an important passage for us to study, right? If we claim to be followers of Christ, we need to know what Jesus expects from us, right? And if any are here today and, and you're considering following Christ, well, then then you're the perfect one to hear this because that's exactly what these men were doing as well. And so we need to know what it, what it entails so we can count the cost, so we can know um, how we should live as Christians. And it's possible that as we study this, uh, Jesus, the Spirit, may, may reveal to you that, wow, you know, I don't even know if, that I am a Christian. And again, I... If the Spirit does that, then by all means, praise God, right? Better to know that now and, and by His grace to be able to, to make the right commitment to Christ than to find out in the end when it's too late when you stand before God. And so from these two would-be disciples, and again, we don't know what happens to these guys, right? We just, Matthew doesn't record that for us. He just shows them coming up to Jesus. Jesus gives them a, a, a demand, a requirement of what it looks like to follow him, and then that's all we know. We don't know if they did it or if, or if they didn't. But for me, each one of these men, we, I'm going to make a, a, a point of what it means to follow Christ. All right, so let's dig in here. Verse 18, now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. So he sees this crowd around him. We know at this point in Jesus' ministry, his popularity is sky high, right? People are recognizing that he teaches with great authority and his amazing miracles of healing and casting out demons has resulted in in nonstop crowds uh, clamoring after him. And while Jesus certainly has compassion on those suffering under the effects of sin, Again, we, there's, there's always this tension, right? Because Jesus knows I've not just come to be a miracle worker, right? Again, these, these, um, these are real lives being changed, and, and that, that reveals the, the heart of God. But, but nevertheless, he has come to lay down his life. And, and the miracles, like I said earlier, are, are pointing to his ultimate mission, and that is him dying on the cross and rising again. And so... Jesus didn't just come to be a miracle worker. He didn't just come, you know, like if you're thinking about John 6, you know, in the feeding of 5,000. He didn't just come to feed, to, to do these things and, and feed people's bellies. And so we often see Jesus withdraw from the crowds. And for one, for the sake of his disciples, right? So they can kind of regroup. And, um, and, and this is apparently one of those times because verse 18 says, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him... He gave orders to go over to the other side. So they're getting ready to get in a boat. We're going to know that from the the passages that follow. They're getting ready to get in a boat and go across the Sea of Galilee. And while they're preparing for this trip then, look at what happens in verse 19. A scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Scribes were teachers of the law. And, And most of the scribes that we encounter in the Gospels are opposed to Jesus because they see him as a threat to their, to their power, right? But this scribe in verse 19 has a favorable view of Jesus. Notice what he says, Teacher, I will follow you wherever, I, wherever you go. He, he addresses him as teacher, right? And, and that's, inter- you know, that's interesting. I mean, scribes were already scholars, but then 
they did often look for a rabbi to attach to, to further their learning, right? To kind of get their graduate degree, if you will, right? So that's basically what he's doing. He's, he's saying, I want to choose you as my rabbi, <laughs> right? I want to learn from you. And even though, you know, again, that, that shows a, a level of a favorable view of Jesus. Like I said, a lot of the, te- the teachers of the law, they didn't like Jesus. They thought, ah, he didn't go to our schools. He doesn't, you know, follow our oral traditions, right? And, but no, this guy wants to, he wants to learn from Jesus. And so he tells Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And, and the language of that, we, I mean, it, it sounds great, and, and, and maybe that's what he meant, but the language may just primarily be referring to, he's like, I want to go where you're going right now, Jesus. I'll, I'll follow you. You're getting in a boat. I can see that. I want to go with you, right? I want to attach myself to you. Whatever he meant by that, Jesus uses it as an opportunity to state that, again, to lay out what the commitment that's needed to be become one of his disciples. Look at verse 20. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Right? Jesus had an itinerant ministry. He and his disciples traveled around, and they, they relied on the hospitality of others, and, and Jesus didn't have a home of his own. So there were times when, you know, they're just, you know, kind of out, out in the elements, right? Just... Just laying their head out beneath the stars. And so he's saying, you know, from that standpoint, you know, foxes and birds, they have their own kind of permanent dwellings, but, but I don't. You know, I want you to know that, he's telling this man. And notice, it's interesting, by the way, how Jesus refers to himself here. You see that? Verse 20, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That's the first time in Matthew that this title comes up, Son of Man. Uh, it certainly won't be the last time. This was one of Jesus' favorite titles to, to use for himself. Many of Jesus' hearers probably assumed that this title simply referred to Jesus' humanity, but we know that the title meant more than that. Jesus is referencing Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, where one like a Son of Man... That's a vision that Daniel's given where, where one like a son of man is this victorious figure who's enthroned by God in heaven to rule over the nations. So it's, a, it's really a messianic title. And so Jesus uses that a lot. And here in Matthew 8, if you think about it, it's really an ironic time to use it, right? Because here... The, He's saying, I'm the one to whom belongs earth, all, all heavenly glory and authority, just as Daniel 7 describes. But guess what? While I'm here on earth, I don't even have a place of, to lay my head. <laughs> and so Jesus wants this scribe to know what he is signing up for. Right? Again, the, says, he says, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, basically, he's like, are you sure? <laughs> Do you understand what following me will entail? I mean, maybe this guy thought, hey, you know, look at the popularity of this teacher. Man, this is going to be so awesome. We are going to have the red carpet rolled out for us wherever we go. This is going to lead to glamour and prestige. And maybe, maybe his motives were a little 
more pure than that. But nevertheless, Jesus wants him to know. It's like Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, that's great, but just know that I'm a sojourner. My disciples and I don't have consistent lodging. So are you ready to leave the security and comforts that you're used to? Are you willing to live as a stranger in this world? You said you will go with me wherever I go. But understand that I'm going to go down the path of suffering. Are you willing to go with me down that road? That's what's in store for me. And a student is not above his teacher. If they persecute me, they will certainly persecute those who identify with me. So are you ready to endure hardships on account of me? These are all the types of things that Jesus says to those who would follow him, right? And, and, and are, are even implied or present in this encounter here. And so let me give you the first point if you're taking notes here. Christ's reply to this would-be disciple declares an important truth about being a Christian. Number one, following Jesus requires costly sacrifice. Following Jesus requires costly sacrifice. It's so important for us to understand. Being a Christian involves costly sacrifice. We often fail to grasp this. And maybe it was for kind of a good reason we fail to grasp this as evangelicals, and that is because we have rightly wanted to stress the, the biblical teaching that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We want to stress the, the, the fact that our works do not save us, right? That it's only through Christ's life, death, and resurrection that we are saved, that Jesus has paid it all. And so salvation is free, praise God. That's what the Bible teaches. Yes, salvation is free. We cannot earn it, right? It doesn't cost us anything There's nothing we can do to earn it, to acquire it. Salvation is free. But appropriating that salvation, in other words, becoming a Christian, entails repentance, entails death to self-interest, involves submission to Jesus as Lord. In Luke 9.23, Jesus said to the crowds, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And so following Jesus, being a Christian, involves costly sacrifice. For some Christians around this world throughout history, we know it costs them their very life, right? Their actual life. But for all Christians, including us here today, We are called to daily die to self. To daily put to death our sinful self-interest and instead live for Christ and His kingdom. And that is a costly sacrifice, isn't it? To daily, and I mean, (laughs) you guys know that's a moment-by-moment decision you're having to make and remake and remake to forsake my natural inclination that life is all about me and instead, by God's grace, to live for the glory of Christ. 
That's what it means to deny, to daily, to deny yourself and daily take up your cross and follow Jesus. It's costly sacrifice. It means to pursue Christ's glory rather than my comfort. It means to serve Christ and others rather than demand that I be served. It means to seek God's way that he's laid out for us in his word rather than insist on my own way. Yes, following Jesus does involve costly sacrifice, right? I mean, it's disciplining myself to to meditate on the word of God and to to labor in prayer. And I'm doing all this by, by God's grace, by the Spirit's enabling. But I have to do it. It's, it's devoting time and energy to corporate worship and fellowship with the body of Christ. Following Christ means I'm, I'm not going to just veg out all the time. I'm not going to just live for my comfort all the time. I'm not going to chase the worldly pleasures. It means I'm going to seek to find pleasure in Christ and in His kingdom. I'm going to seek to find pleasure in Christ and in His people, His church. Following Christ means you no longer live for yourself, but you live for Jesus, right? I mean, following Christ means my life is no longer mine. I belong to Christ. The Bible says you are not your own. You've been bought with the price, with the precious blood of Jesus. So, do you, you see, in one sense, yes, salvation costs us absolutely nothing. It is free Praise God, that is such good news. But in another sense, salvation costs us everything, doesn't it? And how we need to understand that. So many people just, yes, they want the, they want the benefits. They want to go to heaven, of course. But they don't want to give up living for themselves. That's not salvation. That's not being a Christian. Following Christ means you no longer live for yourself, but you live for Jesus. Imperfectly, yes. But that is what you are committed to do. And that is what you're striving to do. And that's what you are confessing, repenting, seeking God's grace to do. And so, friend, let me ask you this morning, and this is an important question. Has following Christ, those of you who claim to be followers of Christ, has following Christ cost you anything? Another way to say that kind of in the present sense, are you giving up anything to follow Christ? Again, not trying to earn his favor or his love. That's all free by his grace. But to do what he calls us to do, are you giving up anything? Are you sacrificing anything to follow Christ? The Bible teaches Jesus teaches that following Jesus requires costly sacrifice. Now in verse 21, we meet another potential disciple. And and Matthew calls him a disciple. He says in verse 21, Another of the disciples said to him, 
it's like a would-be disciple, right? Uh, someone who's, who's expressing this initial interest to follow Jesus. Again, maybe he, he will, maybe he won't. But anyway, verse 21, another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. So that here again, here's someone who's shown an interest. He's, he's, he's kind of left the crowd. He's separated the crowd. He, he's interacting with Jesus here. We could say he's walked the aisle, right? He says he wants to follow Jesus, or at least he's expressed some kind of interest in following Jesus. But notice he says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, this second guy addressed Jesus as Lord. That, that, that's even a little better, right, than the teacher, of, like the first guy. But we see that this, he's not ready to follow Jesus yet. He says he first wants to go and bury his father. Now, again, on the face of it, that sounds like a very reasonable request, right? I mean, even the Bible itself teaches, you know, we should certainly honor our parents and and care for them. I mean, Jesus, is, he, he's going to rebuke the Pharisees, right, for, for not taking care of their parents and, and being greedy. But look at what Jesus says to him in verse 22. Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now, Jesus says some shocking things throughout his ministry, right? And I certainly don't want to soft-pedal those at all because they're meant to be shocking. But as, as I've studied this, I think this one may not seem as insensitive as you first think, and I'll t- explain why. In Israel, the dead were required to be buried the same day that the person died. So if this, father, if this man's father had just died, it's, it's kind of unlikely that he would even be there in the first place, right? I mean, if his father had just died, very likely he would have been with his family already, tending to the details that need to be tended to, right? And, the, and you say, well, what do you mean? Well, there was a Jewish idiom. You know what an idiom is? Not an idiot, right? (laughs) An idiom, figure of speech, right? Bury my father was one of those idioms. It's a figure of speech for taking care of your aged father. I mean, you could say, you know, I need to, I'm going to have to bury my father. I'm going to have to bury my mother. In other words, they're well advanced in years. I'm needing to care for them. I'm going to need to care for them until their days end. I'm going to need to care for them the remainder of their lives. And so that very likely may be what this man is, is saying here. He's asking, he's saying, Jesus, I want to follow you, but I want to hit the pause button. I, I need, I have this other commitment, and I don't know how long it's going to take, and I'm going to need to, I'm going to, need to do that first. And, and then when that's all done later, I will follow you. So again, Jesus' answer may not be as harsh as it first seems, but nevertheless, like I said, I don't want to soft-pedal it too much because Jesus is calling him to, even if my interpretation is correct, Jesus is still telling him, hey, forget about that commitment. So Jesus is saying, I want you to go against the cultural norms. I want you to go against these deeply deep values of your culture, and I want you to follow me now. So it's still a shocking thing to say. And then you throw on top of that, he says, and leave the dead to bury their own dead. So that makes it even more shocking, a little more harsh, right? 
Of course, Jesus there is saying, leave the spiritually dead to bury the physical, physically dead, right? I've come to bring new life. I've come to bring eternal life to those trapped in darkness. The kingdom of God has come. The king is here. This good news must be proclaimed. So the time to follow is now. What we know for sure is this, again, no matter how sincere, this man's priorities are out of whack. He thinks that there is something more important than following Jesus. He thinks there's something more important than following Jesus. Of course, Jesus still wants us to honor our parents and do right by our families. But his point is that even things as important as family must not be allowed to hinder one from following Jesus. And this truth is going to come up a few times in the Gospels. One in fairly short order, Matthew 10, 37, Jesus will, Jesus will say, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And then later in Matthew twelve forty nine, Jesus will point to his disciples, right? This is when uh, he's in a crowded room, right? And, and, and Jesus, your mother and brothers are outside. They're trying to find you. And Jesus will say, man, this, these are my mother and brothers right here. Those who do the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother, he will say in Matthew twelve fifty. So again, all of that is to teach that Jesus and his kingdom take precedence over everything, even something as, as special as family. So Christ's reply, how do we, how do we apply this? How, what, what, how do we, what truth do we draw from this? Are we... Never to care for parents? No, of course not. But here's the, the truth. This is point number two. Following Jesus means that Jesus is my top priority. Following Jesus means that Jesus is my top priority. This man in in Matthew 8 thought that there was something more important than Jesus, something more important than the the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, no, I must have first place in your life. And so when we commit to follow Christ, that means that Jesus and his kingdom must become the top priority in our lives. All other demands, all other obligations have to take a back seat to Christ and his kingdom. And I say that, I mean, lots of times we can fulfill those demands and obligations for the glory of Christ, right? We do it in a Christian way. But nevertheless, any other demand, any other priority is subservient to the priority of Christ and his kingdom. Becoming a Christian means Jesus and his kingdom become our your top priority. So again, think about this. Being a Christian is not simply believing in Jesus because I don't want to go to hell and then Jesus kind of gets shoved to the peripheral, right? Oh, good. I'm glad I don't have to go to hell. No. Yeah, I mean, there can be some real, yes, fear of, fear of future judgment, absolutely, Looking to Jesus to rescue you? Absolutely. Maybe many of us were saved that way. But it doesn't stop there. 
it also means Jesus becomes the top priority in your life. Right? Becoming a Christian means Jesus is at the center of my life. He's not way out on the peripheral. He's not just some fire insurance policy. He's not just something that I kind of, someone I kind of run to when things get really bad. No, he, he is those things, but he's also my very life. He's the very focus of my life. He's king. He's Lord. He's my friend and brother. Everything I do, every choice I make, now is to be oriented around Jesus and his kingdom. Again, quite simply, you could say, now I live for Christ. That's what, the way Paul put it. In 2 Corinthians 5.15, he said of Jesus, He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We are to live for Christ, who died for us so that we can live. We need to hear this. Right? Too often people pour all of their energy and efforts into worldly pursuits and merely give Jesus the crumbs that are left over of, 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 of my heart, of my life, of my energy. May that never be. Or too often someone will say, you know what? I mean, if we're honest, we'd say, you know, I don't... I don't really even think about Jesus all week long. But, oh, when Sunday rolls around, I'm going to throw him a bone of an hour or two of my time. That's not what it looks like to be a Christian. Jesus is saying, that's not how it works, guys. I'm not going to play second fiddle. If you're going to be my disciple, I must be on the throne of your heart. So following Christ means you pursue the kingdom of God and not the things of this world. He's your priority. His kingdom's your priority. He's already been teaching this, hasn't he? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. The necessities of life was what those things were, right? So following Christ means you pursue his kingdom and not the things of this world. Man, we need to hear that. Right? Because that is a constant danger. That's a constant pull that we have. This world, this world, the love of the world. So what does that look like in our lives? It means I'm not going to pour all my, all my resources, all my energy, all my affections into the hobbies of this world. Yes, let's have a hobby or two. Fine. Praise God for hobbies, right? Real rest. We can thank God for those things. But they shouldn't be the pursuit of our life, right? I'm not going to live in such a way where I have little to nothing left for Christ and His kingdom. No, by God's grace, I'm going to give Jesus first place in my life, which He deserves, First place in my affections, first place in my pursuits, first place in my loyalty. Everything I do is going to be with the eye of glorifying Christ. Yes, I go to work for nine to ten hours a day, but I'm going to do that to glorify Christ. Independence on him for his glory, praying, God, help me glorify you. Give me an opportunity to, to point people to you. 
first place in my affections, first place in my pursuits, first place in my loyalty. Again, we're not going to do this perfectly. Far from it, right? I'm convicted thinking about this this week. Our hearts still battle indwelling sin. That's what we've been talking about on Wednesdays. But by God's grace, the cry of our heart is for Christ to be first place. And I'm not satisfied when he's not, right? And I'm, by God's grace, I'm going to forsake whatever sin, whatever idols, whatever things are getting in the way. And I'm going to daily confess, repent, pursue Christ and his kingdom as my top priority. That's what it looks like to be a disciple. That's what it looks like to be a Christian. Jesus must be the top priority in your life. And again, maybe you're here today and you, you're, you're very similar to these guys that Jesus encountered. You've hung around church a lot. You've heard a lot about Jesus. You even like Jesus. But your mindset is similar to this second man that we looked at in the passage today. Jesus, I want to follow you, but, but let me first kind of pursue this dream, right? Let me first get to this pay scale. Let me first attain this goal, and then I'm going to get serious about you and your kingdom, Jesus. And if that's your mindset, friend, I would just beg you to reject that. <laughs> reject that mindset. Don't delay. You can't put this off. You shouldn't put this off. The Bible says your life is but a vapor, here today and gone tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Today is is when the call is going out to follow Christ. And if you put it off, you may never do it. The Bible warns us that we can get so entangled in our pursuits that our heart is only going to grow colder and colder to Christ. So what, what little inkling we have now of, yeah, you know, I... I really should follow Christ. If we don't follow him, our heart may just get colder and colder and colder. We'll always be chasing the next thing, the next thing that this world has to offer, the next thing to try to find satisfaction. But those things are all passing away, the Bible says. Only Christ and his kingdom is eternal. And the amazing good news of the gospel is that though we have all sinned against King Jesus, he is gracious, he's merciful, he himself has come to die and rise again so that rebels like us can be saved. And even now, the call to repent and believe goes out and he he promises forgiveness and entrance into his kingdom to all who embrace him by faith as Lord and Savior. And so I, I urge you to do that today. What a, what a blessing it is to have hear from the lips of Jesus himself what it looks like to follow him. And I pray that God will give each one here the grace to do that, to truly follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And so again, a question to ask ourselves is does Jesus and his kingdom have the first place in my life? 
Does Jesus and his kingdom have the first place in my life? And, it, and if not, what does? What does? And again, whatever that is, and it could be a good thing that has just become out of whack in your priorities. But whatever it is, that's an idol that needs to be forsaken. It needs to be cast down. Christ needs to be first place. So following Jesus requires costly sacrifice. Following Jesus means Jesus is my top priority. May God help us to do that. And I just want to close with this word of encouragement. And I know many of you know this, but Jesus is worth it, right? He's worth whatever costly sacrifice. How could we not live for him who gave himself up for us? Worshiping our maker and our redeemer. He's worth it. We get to rejoice in his grace and power. We get to daily fellowship with the the very lover of our souls. We get to follow and learn from our loving Lord. We get to serve the righteous and gracious King of the universe. (laughs) We get to savor His beauty and His majesty. We get to abide in His love. We get to walk with Him now by faith, knowing that someday that faith will become sight and we'll get to enjoy Him forever. Jesus is worth it. Let's pray. Father, once again, we just pray that you would glorify your name now as your word goes forth and that you would grant the grace to hearts that they may believe that they may see Jesus and recognize that he is Lord and Savior, that he is worthy of a full devotion, that he is our, our only hope for salvation. And so, Father, may you graciously draw people to yourself now. And, Father, I thank you for, again, the way your grace has abounded to to many of us already. I thank you for that effectual call that you've placed on our lives, how you powerfully caused us to, to turn and follow Jesus. And Father, I pray that you will sanctify us that you will show us areas where our, our, our priorities are out of whack, areas where we're, where we're not sacrificing or to Christ or committed to Christ, sacrificing for him like we should. And again, we ask for your grace and help to, to repent and, and grow for your glory and for, for our joy. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Will you stand, please, and we'll sing a song of praise to
to the Lord Jesus Christ, and may this song be our prayer this morning.